welcome back to the show, Redrawing the Bath. This is Chris Harmon, your host, and today on the show I have author and podcaster Matthew DiStefano. Matthew, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for uh, allowing me to get into your bath with you. Is that what you said? We're redrawing the bath? Yeah, redrawing the bath is the oh. is the name. I could use a bath. A bath sounds nice, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't I'm it, not a it, bath guy, but it sounds nice. So I actually don't have one in my apartment. In the last one we did, but but not in this one. So I, that was a that was a trade off. But we got a fireplace, so that was a that was that was a fair trade in my opinion. Right. There you go. Yeah. Um so for the obviously a lot of people who are listening probably know who you are, but just for the sake of those who, who don't, uh, I'd love to hear a bit of, of your story of, of your faith journey of where you've been and, and where you are now. Uh, well, I've been a lot of places and I don't know where the hell I am. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of true. I, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, anyone who has looked for honest answers and seeked them out diligently and, um, you know, pretty hardcore like I have, it, it, that's probably going to resonate with people. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of know where I was, but I didn't really, but I thought I did. And now I don't know where the hell I am. And I'm actually kind of cool with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I, I grew up in a, I, I don't know, to me, it was traditional Christianity. It was kind of, you know, Western Americanized evangelical Christianity. Um, you know, left behind type theology, the rapture, uh, you know, traditional notions, notions of hell, the dichotomy, heaven and hell. Well, life is all about what you, uh, what you believe so that the real life when we die is what, you know, that's, that's the beginning of our real life. And hopefully we go to heaven and the Bible is inerrant and all, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, but my parents, um, well, my mom and my stepdad weren't really like as hardcore as maybe the churches we went to because they had both grown up Catholic and kind of had their own little stories and then became Protestant. So, you know, they'd gone through some things and they were a little more tolerant of things than maybe the churches were. Um, So it was always kind of safe, I guess, in one way to ask questions in my household, but not so much, um, not so much in the churches I grew up in. So when I started to have those questions, because you know, when we test out some of these doctrines, they don't really, they don't feel right. Uh, we might yeah. not have any answers at all. And, um, but the answers were given, like, they don't, they hit it like, okay, fine. But they hit us in the gut in a certain way where it's like, yeah, it doesn't sit well. And mm-hmm. if you really, really, if you really, really think about them and you really wrestle with them, you, you're, and you, I think most people end up being like, I don't know what's going on here. And, um, and so that, that, that kind of, uh, led me down what, what what people are calling deconstruction where you kind of pull on the thread and uh, the whole thing unravels you know i didn't i stopped believing the bible was the inerrant word of god i stopped believing in hell i stopped believing i even stopped believing in god for a while and it was just like i i have no idea if there's a god if there is i have no idea what this god is like could be mm-hmm. uh could be kind and nice doesn't seem like it maybe is malevolent malevolent I almost said Maleficent, but like Maleficent, maybe. (laughs) That'd be scary. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, depending on the tradition you come from, God can be quite scary. And and then, and then of course, people will say, uh, you know, the beginning of wisdom is fear is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of God. And um, they have an answer for everything, I swear. 
Uh, but yeah. th- but it still doesn't feel right. Like I shouldn't be afraid of God. Like I had a pretty shitty dad. Like I I was kind of afraid of him. And if God's mm-hmm. like that, like I just, I mean, don't expect me to worship God. Like He might exist, but uh, I certainly can't worship um, a God like that. And ironically, I was in worship teams forever because I played a bunch of instruments. So hmm. <laughs> here I was forced <laughs> to lead people in worship when I myself had a really, you know, towards the end of my church days, I guess, in my 20s. Um, yeah, I, I felt kind of like a hypocrite because I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not going to openly talk about it yet. And but I'm still wrestling, but I'm still leading worship. And it just became really bad for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wonder how many people find themselves in that positions, either from the pulpit preaching on a Sunday morning or, or leading in worship. In light of that, when you did start becoming vocal, what was your experience like with the people around you? Oh, well, I mean, there's there's two sides of that. I can be pretty outspoken and um, be pretty blunt and direct in my in my questioning and my the way I communicate with people. So I, I played a part in the way I asked questions. It was very direct. It was very like, what's up? Have you thought about this? Da, da, da. And people were very defensive and quite uh, harsh in their, I guess, condemning me to hell or saying I'm already condemned to hell. You know, the, the typical things, heretic, wolf in sheep's clothing, all of a sudden now you're some sort of wolf when really you're just asking questions and you might be a little blunt about it, which I was, and direct. Mm-hmm. But but people took it really personally. Um it was, uh, yeah, it's it's almost as if I was abandoning the people when I, I had no intention to do that. It was just that I, I could no longer find these things tenable. And, hmm. and, and I'm really going to be vocal about it because I kind of felt betrayed and lied to a little bit. And I'm a little bit yeah. angry here. Um, so, yeah, but pe- people took it really personally. Um, a lot of bridges were burnt. The, the, the church I went to for a long time and led worship at. Um, uh, you know, we cut ties and, um, yeah, a lot of people, including some family and, and in-laws and, um, had, had a real hard time with that. And I get, I get where people are coming from. They, they, I think a lot of them truly are like afraid for you or like fearful that you are now one of those that the Bible talks about. And the, especially in the end of days, right, there's gonna be a falling away of people and mm-hmm. I just happen to be one of them. So I, I know there's some fear there. Um, you know, I wish I would have questioned things a little more um, delicately at first, but uh, you know, it is what it is. I think you can uh, you can question things delicately. Like, look at look at, for instance, Rob Bell's book Love Wins. Like, the dude doesn't even come up with some sort of conclusion. He just asks a bunch of questions, and people write him off and call him all these things. So, I think even if yeah. you're delicate in your deconstruction and questioning, people are still gonna, like, <laughs> you know, uh, allegorically burn you at the stake thank god we don't do it literally so much anymore oh i know that that would be that'd be interesting to see all the, the gospel coalition people out with uh with kindling and whatnot it'd be <laughs> interesting to see who they come for but you speaking of, of heresy and whatnot you actually host a podcast now with uh some of your co-publishers would you mind talking a little bit about that yeah sure um well i i, I have two podcasts one is with my best friend called the bonfire oh yes Second. sorry about that no, it's okay. Everyone knows the Heretic Happy Hour because it, for some reason, like we were talking about before the show, like we just accidentally fell into this thing that got way bigger than we ever thought. Um, 
So yeah, we uh, one day I don't know how it even came about. Uh, myself, Keith Giles, and Jamal Javanji um, decided to, and we we've all published with Choir at this point. Mm -hmm. I think it was in 2017. So we all at least had one book with Choir uh, and kind of upstart publishing company. Um, and we just decided to do a three-part series on penal substitution atonement theory, which for those who don't know, like, the, you know, the lingo or whatever, it's like the common atonement theory in, in Western Christianity um, that, you know, Jesus took on the wrath of God upon himself so that those who believe can be spared. And it was a substitution for, I guess, the rest of us or those of us who believe. Um, <laughs> so we, we did the three-part series on how that came about, alternative theories that predate it, the problems of, of that and how it creates like a violent sort of understanding of God and how that then could lead to violence in the world today. And so we, we did this three-part podcast with no name or anything. And we just thought, well, why don't we just do this regularly? Because we had such a blast and we just put the episodes on our individual blogs and people liked it and we got good feedback. So mm -hmm. then we just like stumbled into the Heretic Happy Hour and we all like alliteration. So I came up with that name. I got to take credit for that. And, um, and, and so we just started doing hour shows, hour and 20 minute shows. We started uh, to grow the show. We wanted to get guests. So we've gotten like, we started with Brad Jerzak. Um, we've gotten like Richard Rohr, Bart Ehrman, Peter Enns. I mean, the list goes on. Um, yep. Nadia Weber, Rachel Held Evans, rest in peace um all these great thinkers and authors and um and people like john fugel saying who's like a political commentator people just all over the map uh dustin kenstrew from thrice and all these cool people and it's just kind of blown up um to this like sort of thing that people are really excited about and people all over the world listen to it and uh the, my favorite thing about the show though is that i didn't know keith and jamal had beef before the show even started and I didn't find out until episode seven. Oh, and we no had, we had, Yeah, we had a whole... Yeah, like Jamal's book came out and Keith gave it a scathing review. And all oh, these people no. took sides. I didn't even know any of this shit. Um, I hope it's okay to cuss, sorry. Um, yeah, go for it. And I didn't find out, I, which is part of the beauty of the show. And this is what I love the show so much about, is that none of us agree on everything. Mm -hmm. and, and they they didn't have real beef to where I even knew what was going on because it was just like, whatever, like we had a little dis dis disagreement before the show even got started. We talked about it. We squashed it and everything's cool. And like literally everything's cool. Like we're on our 71st episode and like, we don't agree. Keith and Jamal disagree a lot way more than any, any of the other dynamics in the relationships, but <laughs> we all disagree. We all have our viewpoints and it literally doesn't matter, which is I think what Christianity was supposed to be all about. Like, it's really just coming together and, and and doing life together in a different sort of way than we're used to. And yeah, we can have doctrines, we can have beliefs, we can have ideas, we can have all this stuff. And But if those things ever come first, like you've completely missed the point. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, was, I, I was actually about to say that that's one of the things I appreciate so much about your show is that you guys all have different viewpoints and you all disagree on certain things, but at the end of the day, you guys do care about each other and respect each other. And, 
and that's not something you see very often and, and it's not something I saw very often growing up and so seeing that modeled in in that type of medium is, is it's very helpful for me and I'm sure it's very helpful for for so many other people and and you do have the the bonfire sessions right yeah yeah that's another podcast that's one where my my best friend Mike Machuga and I sit around and just chat it's really it's um less formal than Heretic Happy Hour. It's less of a show and more of just a chat, mm-hmm. um, which I love. I love the two different things, and both are real in their own way. Like yeah. none of it's shtick. None of it's like, hey, we're just gonna we're gonna put on this thing where we all disagree but get along, and we're gonna show people how how it is supposed. To... No, it's like real. It's not a shtick. It's not it's yeah. not gimmicky. Like it's I literally I really care about Jamal and Ra- Ralph and Keith and and Mike, of course. Um, and so these shows, I think, are just like, I think realness and vulnerability and rawness is what people are yearning for, even Christians. Like, we've never, we in the Christian world have never done like vulnerability that good. You know, no. we all have the same sins we want people to pray about. It's always like, oh, I've been looking at porn or, oh, I used a cuss word. It's never like, it's never like real deep things because for, for I think for fear of being judged and all this stuff. And so I think, um, I think people are yearning for uh, something real in the church, even if it's messy and, and even if it's, um, yeah, messy and unkempt and, and all those other things. Yeah, no, and, and it definitely, it, it bleeds through in the conversations that you guys have of, of the the genuine friendship and, and relationships that you guys have together. And and one of the things that, that you talk about today and one of the reasons I or talk about on the show and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on my podcast is uh, you, you talk a lot about mimetic theory and scapegoat mechanisms. So I, I, I would be interested for you to, for those who don't know, kind of elaborate on what that is. Well, sure. Um, yeah, it's funny because <laughs> a lot of the books I've written or a lot of the articles when I was writing more articles were about mimetic theory and how to apply it to well to life and to the bible and other texts and how to um look at culture and politics and religion in general and i i honestly i don't think about it anymore so i hope i don't um i I hope i have a satisfactory answer and discussion about it because it's one of those things like once you see it once you see it play out in the real world it just becomes sort of like um just a tool and mm-hmm. sort of a lens that you can use to view the world, but it's not something you're actively thinking about all the time. So um, that's that's the interesting thing about mimetic theory. Uh, it's it, And it's also kind of weird where, where, where to start with the whole thing. So um, mimetic theory is, is essentially, if we're sitting in an elevator going from one floor to the next, I would say it's a way to describe human behavior and a way to explain why humans learn and desire, especially what we desire. And Rene Girard, who developed this theory, interestingly, uh, initially based on fiction, works of fiction by Dostoevsky and, and um, uh, some French authors and eventually Shakespeare. And uh, so he developed it from fiction, noticing how the characters interact with each other and then noticed that, well, these authors are developing these characters because they are noticing things about people in real life, about themselves, about other people. And 
essentially Gerard noticed that we don't know really what to desire. I mean, hmm. sure, we desire sex and food and shelter. But after that, why are we desiring these things that we desire? Um, houses, boats, um, trips to wherever, uh, diamond rings, you know, like, why is a diamond ring desirable? I mean, sure, it's sort of shiny. But <laughs> I mean, it yeah. takes on it takes on another life of its own because we all desire it. And we all if none of us desired it, we wouldn't really give a shit about diamonds um, or something like that. Uh, so he noticed that we, you know, we 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 pick up on the perceived desires of those around us, those we look up to um, as kids, our peers and parents, as adults, maybe it's celebrities and athletes and things like that, because we kind of want to be like them. I mean, we do want to be like them especially subconsciously. And so what happens though, unfortunately, and all that's fine and good. What happens, unfortunately, is we all, we, we, you and I can't have the one thing we both desire, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because there's two of us and it's maybe one of them. Um, so we do get into conflict with each other. And as societies um, have more and more people, we have more and more conflict and we all start pointing the finger at each other and we get into this like societal, um, what what uh, the writer of Genesis would call, you know, like uh, corruption and, and violence filled the land. You know, that's what that whole story is about. It's like mm -hmm. everyone fighting and fighting with each other and fighting and fighting and fighting. Um, the pressure release valve is what you mentioned earlier, the scapegoating mechanism. Well, our, our peace, ironically, is at the expense of, of uh, someone we all can agree is the problem. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter whether the person we we deem as the scapegoat is innocent or guilty. Uh, we perceive him as guilty. And and that's that's how we unify in society. This is how cultures are established. This is how religions are established. And so it's kind of like the... Um, it's the it's the beauty and the curse. It's the um, it's the in Greek the pharmacon. It's the poison and the antidote. Uh, our violence mm -hmm. is so it's it's the it's the solution to unmediated violence, but in and of itself is violence and is only and only leads to more violence, ritualistic violence. You know, sacrificing things to the gods because you know when we all stop fighting with one another, we have to repeat the thing that helps us stop fighting, which is killing this other this scapegoat um hmm. so we see it in stories like uh if you're familiar with um the story of oedipus i mean we all probably are uh because he <laughs> had sex with his mom and killed his dad but <laughs> what's interesting about that that story from from a mimetic theory standpoint is that when it's agreed that that Oedipus is the problem. There's this plague that Apollo had had sent to Thebes because of uh, Oedipus's unfortunate, tragic iniquities. Um, when he gets kicked <laughs> out of he gets kicked out of Thebes, what happens in the story? The plague goes away. So the plague representing the the violence that came down upon the people and killed like I don't remember how many, but I mean essentially the same stories in Numbers. Uh, is it Numbers twenty five or Numbers five? It's the, um, so this is how little I read my Bible anymore. <laughs> it's the story me... of Phineas. It's the story of Phineas when um, there's a plague that, that befalls the, uh, the Israelite people 
because they were sacrificing to the Moabite God and they were intermarrying. Uh, Phoebes, in his zeal for God, kills uh, and a couple, a Midianite and Israelite couple. And then 24,000 people who died from the plague, that plague then goes away as soon as this couple who represents the scapegoat um, gets killed. So hmm. then, then, the, then the plague goes away and no more people die from it. So 24,000, I think, Israelites die from this plague. So this is how we tell those stories, right? Um, mm -hmm. But we do it today. We, this is human nature. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned the, uh, the spiritual implications within Scripture as it stands. And occasionally, not, not so much, but sometimes I, I hear how both mimetic theory and scapegoat mechanisms affect the way or, or should or, or might affect the way that we perceive spiritual quote unquote realities. Um, and I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit of, of how, how, how do those two things kind of intersect? Well, um, yeah, I think with the way we're designed and, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. This is simply a human thing. Mm -hmm. um, with the way we're designed and I would say design, I believe in God. So, you know, whatever, um, we can be designed <laughs> in some sort of way We're I think we're designed to desire. And the problem is that we, des we desire what the perceived desires of others are. And this is why I think, um, we can talk about God as a relational being in the Christian tradition, Jesus, um, mm -hmm where we can then desire what Jesus desired, which is what he asks of us. He says, follow me. He says, I only do the will of the father. I only see what the father is doing. Um, we then have this model of desire who will then be not show us how to not be rivalrous with one another. Hmm. So, so, so no longer do we have these sort of vapid platitudes of Jesus asking us to follow him. Well, how do we follow him? Well, by, by, by serving the other, uh, we have this beautiful term kenosis uh, that the Eastern Orthodox folks like to talk about more than we do in the West, where it's this self-emptying, right? So it's this other-oriented, self-giving love that if we can have a model to follow Jesus, then we will live in the kingdom of God. We will be living peacefully. We will be living mercifully. We will be gracious. All these things that Paul talks about all these things that Jesus talks about, um, I think it's most beautiful on display after the resurrection in John 20 when he comes back to the disciples in the upper room who are probably scared shitless. Um, and he, and he, what is the breathing of the Holy Spirit attached to? Forgiveness and, and grace and mercy. And so it gives us this model to to look toward that is going to not be rivalrous with us or others um, because God, the Father, is not that way. God, the Father, is self-giving love as well. So, you know, Jesus has a model. Jesus is mimetic, but he's telling us how to be positively mimetic and not negatively mimetic because remember, it's, a hu it's simply a human thing. Which is what? Which is why I always I always gravitate toward a way more human Jesus, hmm. because it's it's someone I can really follow. That's why I think I still think, um, like if you had to have a discussion about Jesus and Buddhism, I think we can have a lot of discussions about it. But 
the the one reason the one hesitance i have towards like buddhism is enlightenment is to abolish all desires and to me that's i don't think we have to do that like desire mm -hmm. is not necessarily a bad thing i think desire can be a good thing it just depends on where our desires derived from and how we go about like are we going to be conscious about our desires um, I think we need to be conscious about our desires in the desire to serve others. And that's where true peace and joy and love and all the fruit of the spirit is found. Hmm. No, that, that, that's beautiful. I've actually never heard mimetic theory talked about from, from the, the vantage point of the relationship between Jesus and the father. Um, with that being said, having talked about the holy side of it, let, let's talk about the the unholy side of it speaking towards more so um satan and and demons and and obviously you can see kind of the the scapegoating pointing finger or even even just the mimetic theory from the very beginning of uh you will be like god if you eat this eat this fruit would you care expounding on that a little bit yeah i i, I always find a, a discussion about um satan or the satan fascinating because because I, I I won't go so far as to say, like I'll say two things that the, they'll sound like I'm contradicting myself. I'll say mm -hmm. Satan as an ontological being, like walking around like like a humanoid or a, a sentient being does not exist. But at the same time, I believe that the satanic mechanism, in fact, exists. Hmm. And what I what I mean by that, and I'll, I'll use a, a Bible story from the book of Job. The book of Job is kind of into these two different parts, the first two chapters, and then there's a couple chapters at the end, and then the, um, the, like the poems in between, so chapters 3 through 37. And I think, um, well, from what I, what I believe scholars have said is that the two are different writers, and, and they're kind of piecemealed together, like a lot of our Bible is, and that's okay. <laughs> I, I, if you take away the, the, the first two chapters and the, then the, the, the last chapters, the only things that have Satan as a being in, we still, we, we then see the satanic mechanism be both human and almost take on a life of its own. Yeah. And, and so we get to the start, well, like the start of Job, like Job, like he's having all these bad things happen to him. So his friends come to console him and they're giving him advice and their tent, their intentions are good and they're being kind of cool about it. But then as it goes, they become more accusatory and more murderous in their thoughts. And they're going so far as to gossip and make up stories about specifically what Job has done to lead to his unfortunate um, circumstances. And, and that, that's understandable. This is, this is their theology at the time. And frankly, mm -hmm. much, much of our theology as well, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, blame the gays for hurricanes and things like that, right? Uh, we got to blame oh, someone. And so yeah. um, it almost, when it becomes... You know, people, some people will say, oh, we're all satanic. We're all individually Satan. I'll say, well, maybe to some degree. But I hmm. think it, tur it turns into this other being when the whole community comes together and almost feeds off each other and creates this something that's like bigger than the sum of its parts. And hmm. that then gets le leveled on onto Job and, 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 and he's accused of all sorts of horrible things. And what, what started as his friends trying to come give some advice turns into, well... Uh, something that's very accusatory, very slanderous, um, very manipulative, perhaps. And, and so that's what I see uh, the Satan as. Some people argue 
you know, Hashatan, the Satan, means the accuser. Um, it's sort of God's prosecuting attorney in ancient Hebrew uh, understanding, um, where he, you know, Satan would go around accusing people for God. Mind you, in the Old Testament, Satan kind of works for God. In the New Testament, he's like the he, he's the bad guy now. Um, hmm. But that that's just a change. That's just a shift in their thinking and their theology. Um, some some scholars I think have said that Jesus, I mean Jesus, <laughs> Satan is more of the ex the, the executioner. Um, well, whatever whatever Satan is, I think is both not a being and very real. Whenever we as a community accuse and and, and you know especially wrongfully accuse, come together at the expense of another, um, execute often either metaf metaphorically or literally. Um, I think all that is uh, satanic. And that's a hard one for people to, to wrap their head around because we've always taught, uh, at least in my tradition, that G uh, Satan was a, uh, a fallen angel and it was God's, you know, best, best angel and took a third of, you know, we get that story from Enoch. And okay, well, that's a cool story, but... Um, <laughs> I think there's much it's, more truth to it. Like, I, I think that kind of gets us off the hook. Like, no, we're, we're, we need to be responsible as human community for our satanic propensities. We don't need a, we don't need a scapegoat named Satan uh, with horns <laughs> and a pitchfork, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, totally. And, and that's, and that's so interesting to hear as someone who, who like you grew up in that kind of environment where Satan was that and, and talking about, things as serious as as witchcraft and as as silly as i don't know Yu-Gi-Oh cards or something like that of that these things are are somehow inherently satanic because whatever the reason was um to 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 kind of rethink that through that now as a as a 23 year old um you um so so we talked about the the the, the spiritual side of it and we talked about the physical side of it you don't really need to talk about the the spirit or the physical side of it because you just look on the news and, and you immediately see it. But but for those of us who okay, this makes sense. How do I apply this to the way that I see the world? What what is the best first step to do so? Oh well, um, in your in your day to day, uh, you we always I, I get these grandiose ideas about how I'm going to solve all the world's problems. I think we solve the world's problems like like I have a child. So if you have a child, like apply that to your child rearing. Um, your children will pick up on things. You might think they want to argue with you all the time, and you guys don't. <laughs> my my daughter doesn't, but a lot of people oh they don't want they don't look up to me. I'm just their stupid parent. No, they look up to you. They emulate you. You become a model um, of desire for them uh, more than you think. And hmm. they will imitate you for uh, for better or worse, for good or for ill. And so you you need to be on your game when it comes to that. You need to model um, love to them. When you discipline your children, you need to model corrective discipline, not retribution. Don't steal their shit. Don't you know? Don't force <laughs> them to do things. Like we must we must learn how to be much more creative in in the way we. Um, talk to our kids and deal with our kids and raise our kids. And it doesn't mean we, it doesn't mean we don't correct behaviors and things like that, but we need to be compassionate models of, of serving love. Like 
I don't, I, yes, of course I have to tell my daughter to, uh, clear the table when she's done, but you know, what works actually a little bit better is actually doing it, having her see me do it for everyone else. Then mm. it becomes, then it becomes positively mimetic, right? Like she could be like, Oh, that's really cool that he's doing that. You know, um, seeing, seeing the people you look up to serve others, then we all of a sudden want to do that. And, and it does work. Of course, it's not a universal thing every time we're all selfish and we all are mm -hmm. lazy sometimes and we want people yeah if you're going to serve me fine i'm not gonna I'm not, i might not re reciprocate every time but you know <laughs> raising a kid is is a process you know it's it's uh, we're all in process especially our children i think to some degree um so so it starts in the home i think i think uh with the way i relate to my wife uh the way i relate to the clients i work i do social work um mm -hmm. and having them not it helps you not get into power struggles because you really it's always in the back of your mind oh okay so i um i'm getting into a power struggle here and that's never good it, it it really helps with gossip because that i think is one of the uh subtle ways we scapegoat others um so it it keeps you on point with not gossiping and i think gossip gossip can is the bane of of existence for since so many ways um hmm. And and I, I hate it. It's it's a huge pet peeve of mine. So when I when I fall into the trap of gossiping, my medic theory certainly helps by this little almost like you know the devil and the angel on our shoulders. You got the two yetzers in in Hebrew thought, like the the evil inclination and the good inclination. The yeah. good inclination's always going like, "Hey Matt, you're gossiping," and you know that leads to scapegoating. You hypocritical son of a bitch. And so I've got, <laughs> I always have that. And then, and oh, I don't always listen because you know, we all can be kind of shitty. But you know, at least it's there to remind you. And and I think when we at least can label something and and use it as a tool in our lives, we can make healthier choices that are better for all of us. Hmm. Matt, that's that's so good. Um. Wow, that that was a lot to a lot to process and and take in. Um, sorry, I'm 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 like working through all that. Well, I got I got a bunch of books if you want to dig deeper and your listeners want to dig deeper. <laughs> yes, that, that 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 was actually my next question. Now that I now that I'm thinking about it, um, do you want to host the show? That no, I have plenty on my plate. You you're doing just fine, man. <laughs> they say when you uh, they say when you interview someone you're supposed to let them talk at least 80 percent, right i think that's yeah that's that that's what i that's what i'm going for hopefully that's that's what it's been um but yeah you you, you mentioned the books where 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 can we start well i mean i say that in seriousness but i said it in jest because it, it is hard to have these 30 or 45 minute conversations about such um dense stuff because a lot of these things mm -hmm. can be pretty dense and not only that is we we were taught a worldview, and I say we loosely, um, that is just so certain, right? So this is the way it is. This is the way the world was created um, <laughs> 10,000 years ago, right? Uh, di dinosaurs never existed. The earth, earth is flat, all that shit. <laughs> and, uh, I never believed that, but thank God for my parents who were some, somewhat rational. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like we had this worldview and maybe we've had it for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And then we hear this new stuff. And we're like, I can't even process that. I don't even like, it's so, it's so different than yeah. what I, I've been told and what I held to for so long. Um, or as I say, what held to me, because that's what I felt 
like it was. I don't know about you, but like I felt like it it grabbed to grabbed me, and there was just no going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so oh, we hear yeah. this, we hear these things. It's like, oh my god, this is so much to digest. Yeah, no, it, totally. It, it really is, and it it really in in so many different ways of I I like I said I couldn't turn on the news without seeing it and in some ways it it or in some major ways it affected the way that I saw spiritual warfare or whatever terminology you want to use and and people were like why don't you pray like you used to and I was like well because uh mimetic theory and, and scapegoating and this I don't necessarily believe that Satan does that anymore so but you're you're right. It is it is a lot to process. But it, you, would Rene Girard be a good place to start? I, I hear, I hear like back and forth. People like you need to read his books, and some people like don't even try. Well, so I would probably take the middle way. Um, <laughs> I, I understand what people are saying when it comes to don't read his books because he can be dense. He was French, so it's translated, and some translations are better than others. I, I had no problem with I See Satan Fall Like Lightning, which I think is maybe his easiest to digest book. I think it's one of his shorter ones. Um, the Gerard Reader would be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, reading the Bible with Rene Gerard, which are some conversations that Michael Harden, who is a theologian, um, edited and put into a book form, I think posthumously after Rene passed away. Mm-hmm. Um so the uh, I wouldn't like things hidden since the foundation of the world is his most dense work I'd say one of it one of his most dense works and it's um very difficult so I wouldn't start there but yeah I mean maybe not start with Gerard I was, you you want to start with me because um well I would like to sell books and because what <laughs> I've tr- <laughs> what I what I've tried to do especially in my book Heretic is is give you like a real 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 simple primer. That's going to get you going down the road. So mm. I try to make it really digestible. Um, others have done so as well. Tony Bartlett's good. Um, James Allison's really good. Uh, and then maybe go to Girard because Girard may be more difficult. But if you are interested in mimetic theory, you have to read primary sources. So you're eventually going to have to read Girard. So I would never, I would never say absolutely don't read Girard. I think I would personally be okay with if you didn't read Girard first, but, mm. but with the, within the mindset that you're going to get there to get it from the horse's mouth. And of course the way it's a scientific theory. So as we go, we learn more things about human behavior and how it applies to the, to the world and theologically, anthropologically. Um, it's not like Girard is the end all be all when it comes to the theory, because that's just not how science works. Because, you know, so it's a human science, so it can be applied in different ways as we learn more things about human psychology and all that other stuff. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah, those but are you, those are some, some good places to start, especially your book, Heretic. I actually didn't know that, that you mentioned that in, in that book. And what, so what's next for you? Uh, well, other than hosting the bonfire sessions in Heretic Happy Hour... Um, I've got a, I've got a really, I've got a couple unique things, actually. The, the next thing that comes out is the bonfire sessions, uh, booklets that Mike and I are writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're going to have springs, summer, 
fall and winter, and they're going to come out every three months, starting on 420. Take from that what you will. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, they're going to be booklets. They're going to be on Kindle. And then when all of them are done, we're going to do like a hardcover, a box set or something. So that's the next thing. Those are just like um, basically the, the Bonfire Sessions podcast. Put it into a book form. That's what it is. It's just like like we're sitting down and chatting and someone's, you know, typing up a conversation essentially as best as we can um hmm. so that, so that's coming out this year i've got a um i've got a really cool project called the genesis of violence and it's actually like a um uh how do i describe it it's not a graphic novel but i i but it's sort of like an adult children's book and mm-hmm. so i i interpreted the um the book of genesis i broke it up into five different chapters and I have a artist that is doing art for it. So each like little snippet of words, however we broke it up, uh, he's like interpreting that into picture form. So there's a lot of like double meaning and there's a lot of, um, it's really cool. It's really bloody and violent, just like the book of Genesis. And <laughs> um, I'm telling it through a mimetic theory lens and seeing all the mimetic theory, there's a lot of really cool anthropology throughout that whole book. Um, so I did this like creative writing project and he's doing creative art for it. I don't know when that's going to come out because art, it turns out, takes a long time. So this is we've been at this for a couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I'm thinking sometime this year, but maybe 2021 um, if we make it that far because of the coronavirus, uh, Lord willing. Um, Fingers crossed fingers crossed um and i'm also recording um a hip-hop album because i do oh that yeah now. that that's amazing you're is that gonna be your first album well since i was in like bands in high school i mean college and and, and early adults yeah but yeah this is my first album my first foray into the world of hip-hop have you always been a hip-hop fan or, or no yeah i mean i've always been a music person like i have a music minor um mm-hmm. so i've i've I'm like one of those guys who says I'm into everything. I literally am like, I love Chopin. I love Otis Redding. I love uh, hip hop. I love, I used to like metal a lot. Um, But yeah, hip hop's always been like, I remember having to hide um, Snoop Dogg's doggy style tape. I'm dating myself, obviously here. I had to hide it from my parents. Um, And it was a literal tape. So this is like, I'm 37. So I'm significantly older than you. But uh, when, yeah, I loved all that. I loved the Chronic, Dr. Dre. I loved all that hip hop, and now I love you know Kendrick and all those guys. Mm-hmm. And 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 when will that when will that be out? I'm not sure. We're like we're pretty much getting close to recording everything and mixing most of it. It's just it's mm-hmm. like in between an EP and an LP. It's like seven songs. Um, still working on. It. I still I think we have like two studio sessions and then mastering and then. I got to figure out exactly what I want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it'll be out this year. I'm pretty confident. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll definitely be looking for that. So, so where can people find you then to, to get in touch with all of these things, get in touch with you? Well, the easiest is uh, Facebook. If you just look up Matthew J. DeStefano, it might just be mm-hmm. Matthew, Matthew DeStefano actually. Um, I mean, there's so many avenues. You can email me at Matthew at allsetfree.com. My website is allsetfree.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. If 
you're interested in that. Um, okay. HereticHappyHour.com, you can reach through there. Uh, if you if you want to find me, you will. <laughs> and you guys have a hotline, right? We have a hotline, lo and behold. Um, you oh, can man. find us on the hotline, 240-343-7379. I can't believe I memorized that. I yeah, that's that's, that's amazing. I think Should the only we... number I have memorized is my wife's number. So that's that's impressive. Oh, I'm a little um I'm I'm not autistic, but I have kind of those tendencies and numbers I can remember. I'm like um I can remember my grandparents' address from like 30 years ago and and their phone number. Like Dang. It's, yeah. I that's amazing. So, I think I got the number right. Jamal said it so many damn times. I uh <laughs> I have to I, I had to, it by now. Yeah, I had to sneak that in there. I was like, I know there's going to be a moment where I get to say that. God, but, talk about beating a dead horse. That joke has lived far too long. Oh, but it's so great. Every time I I, I laugh in my car when I hear it. Well, I think so that's the, know, Yeah, that's the funny thing about jokes. Like it, it was funny at first cuz literally if if you listen to the first episode, one of us says that we we're going to have a hotline. And Jamal literally wasn't paying attention, and then he announced it, and it was like, Jamal, are you, this is how we're starting off the show, huh? Like you're not even listening, and and it turned into this, this amazing joke that Jamal has to make an announcement that he's already made, and and then it didn't get funny for a while as these things like okay enough, but then it comes back. That's the way. Like once you keep think keep on something like that, like the joke got funny again, and now I I think it's just kind of hilarious. Oh, that's great! Every it, honestly, every time I hear it, 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 it puts a smile on my face. But well, well Matt, thank thank you so much for being with us today, and I good luck with the coronavirus, as you said, and I'm I'm looking forward to that mixtape. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah, we'll fucking wash your hands. We'll 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 all be fine. Oh Be-fired. yeah, hopefully. Yeah.